Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, we talk some important 2022 races, and Alex and I are going to try to look into the crystal ball a little bit and answer some listener questions as well. Alex, uh, where do you want to start? Yeah, a lot of the news this week as usual. Uh, there's a few races I think that we should probably start with. You know, Joe, we've been pretty much constantly talking about the Senate and the House, and and I yeah, think we have. everyone agrees that's the fight. That's ground zero. It is. It is the fight. But there are a lot of races, especially on the statewide level, that are going to affect those and have major impacts next year. Um, Jennifer Rubin had a great piece in the Post this week about how important a lot of the governor's races will will be. What do you see in there? Well, she's right. I mean, uh, Jennifer Rubin's right. Uh, it, look, we, we always, unfortunately, as a party, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, have focused on federal races, House and Senate. Unfortunately, 2022, if we lose either the House or the Senate, uh, democracy could be well on its way, if not already over, you know, on its way over uh, an abyss. That would certainly help shove it over. They are still two of the the most important areas to focus on. I, I uh, and we'll talk about this a little later on in the in, in the podcast. I, I still feel pretty good about the Senate. We'll get into that. Uh, the House deeply concerns me, and we'll also get into a little bit of that with the new census numbers out uh, this week, but. She's absolutely right. We've also said over and over again on the show that we've got to start focusing more on state races as a party and more importantly, not just the governor's races, uh, but uh, legislative races. Um, now, in 2022, we, we need to do all those things. We absolutely need to. Uh, Paramount is holding the House, but we have to win uh, a bunch of races in places like Florida, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Those are governor's races um, that, you know, really matter. And we've got to start winning them. Part of this is if you look at, you know, what's happening at, in Georgia, the, uh, how a governor can make a difference. You look at, at Kemp going full MAGA on voter suppression, and, you know, and, and basically um, doing everything he can uh, to sort of push the the uh, the big lie and remedy it by uh, you know basically shutting down a lot of Democratic coalition people from being able to vote, blacks, Hispanics, and, and shutting down everything from drop off boxes and and everything else. And you go look at that difference with Wisconsin Governor Evers, who just this week you know vetoed. Um, the legislators, legislature in Wisconsin's voter suppression bill. So we've got to win these governor's races. There's, there are plenty of them up. Uh, and, and Jennifer Rubin is absolutely right to put a focus on this. And I think her piece, uh, people uh, should read it. I think we'll, we'll include that in our show notes, hopefully, uh, so people could take a look at it. But it's really clear, not only for 2022, but looking ahead, uh, to 2024, part of our whole problem with reapportionment this time is, you know, a, a, a Democratic governor can veto a highly partisan Republican legislature's uh, drawing and redistricting the lines. Uh, we just we don't have any of them. Yeah. In, in the majority of these of these key states where 
redistricting is going to happen for the next 10 years. Right. And that and that's because we didn't focus on this stuff as a party. The Democrats didn't focus on it early enough. Well, and, and in a lot of cases, I mean, Wisconsin was a good example, but, you know, you can't count on on like a governor in North Carolina because the legislator took away a bunch of his powers. So it, there are going to be some really tough fights. But the, a couple of these key states, we, you mentioned Georgia, Pennsylvania is going to be important. But actually, mm-hmm. if you think about 2024, I think the way that the electors are certified, which I don't think any of us really understood before the Trump team made like a huge deal about it last cycle, the governors are in a lot of states the ones that actually end up certifying the election results. Right. That's that's why races in places like Ohio and, and Michigan could be crucial. Obviously, Florida could be crucial. Uh, all the states we mentioned, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, uh, who, who the governor is, particularly of a state legislature, you know, if, if there's a move to decertify, uh, you, know, you know, or to put pressure on the governor to do that, it's going to matter quite a bit. And so I, I think this is what makes 2022 so all hands on deck. Yes, we're going to have to hold the House and there's going to be, you know, 25, 30 seats that we have to fight all out to, to, to keep, hold or gain, uh, maybe more. And then we'll talk about the Senate in, in a minute. I'm less uh, worried about that. But yes, we have to make sure, uh, hopefully, that we can gain a couple seats there. At the same time, we can't afford then go into 2024 with all these Republican or in the most of the cases of the states we talked about, uh, Republican governors controlling, having the ability to work with the state legislature to decertify, uh, to to sit uh, different electors, particularly when they've been showing like Kemp in in Georgia, uh, a, a willingness to go way over across the line to promote the big lie, uh, to pass and sign voter suppression. Um, bills uh, and to go to do just about anything they can to keep the authoritarian movement um, in their state and, and MAGA growing. So one thing that Democrats consistently have nationally is public opinion on their side. I mean, it's stuff like how they're handling COVID, voting rights. How do you take that and, and translate it into a winning campaign in one of these states? Is that a message they can win on? Uh, I think public health, uh, yes, I think, uh, obviously, and, and we'll see. But on the other hand, they're going to continue to lie and say that it's Biden's fault that COVID, he, he's failed uh, us on, on COVID when it's actually them sitting in their hands, not getting vaccinated, urging their voters not to, to vaccinate. Uh, you, you know, uh, they will whisper, hey, I hope you'll get vaccinated. But essentially, most of the uh, their voices are, you know, in, in a lot of ways, putting their own voters at risk. Uh, I mean, literally lives at risk for political gain. So put, don't put that past them at all. Um, at the same time, it's interesting, um, you know, their view of uh, pushing that voter fraud is the problem, not voter rights. Um You know, and and they really try to muck up that fight and make it partisan uh, so that when Democrats are voting or are trying to get expand voting rights, that's an attempt to to steal the election. So all that that rhetoric that's going to go back and forth is, yes, we hold the support when when Americans are focused on those two issues. 
But it's amazing to see, again, how Republicans have been able to over uh, and over again cloud those issues in a way that Democrats actually at times can lose ground on them because we just don't we don't explicitly talk about it and call them out for it. And I think that's something that 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 you've got to see more of. You know, we've been doing on the show calling out any authoritarian moves. You know, we really have to and corporations that are contributing, you know, still playing the both sides uh, do it game uh, and and, uh, trying to buy support on both sides. That's not again, everybody needs to get um, become part of the pro, you know, we've been calling the pro democracy coalition, whether that's joining with us. There's plenty of groups out there. Uh, obviously, the Lincoln Project is something I've decided to join, and Alex is part of as well. But there are plenty of you know Mark Elias uh, fighting like crazy every day in the courts. Uh, there are plenty of people out there. We have to have a coalition of dem- uh, a pro democracy coalition across the legal front, the get out the vote front, the, the stopping voter suppression front, targeting the key races and messaging and, and making sure that on both public health and on voting rights, uh, we're, we're getting our message clear and making it clear that the Republican Party is actually actually failing the country on both counts, both in public health, which is obvious, I think, um, but we have to keep pressing that. And, and they're not trying to do, vote. they're doing everything the opposite of, of opening and improving voting uh, rights and making sure everybody has uh, access to the ballot. Uh, they're trying to shut over and over again with voter suppression uh, bills that are you know, designed to shut that down. We've got to keep that front and center that this is autocracy trying to take down American democracy and join the pro-democracy fight. You know, I think Jennifer puts a really fine point on it. And she basically says these races will serve as a test of whether playing to the MAGA mob at the expense of health and well-being of residents is good political strategy. Like you said, we'll find out. Well, I mean, that's what's what's happening, I think, is no, the 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 MAGA folks and the Trump folks are going to be energized by this rhetoric of, of of you know, stopping voter fraud, stop the steal. Uh, they're taking your freedoms away when they may when they say to wear a mask. All uh, you know, and you should have you, you know all all this stuff and ple- and you know talking about mandates uh, and government controlling your life and all, all that stuff. They're going to go. They're, they're going to be enthused and energized by that. That what we have to do is make sure, because there are plenty of them, that. The Republicans that are leaving the party or having doubts about this authoritarian uh, movement within their party, that they understand um, that on public health, on uh, ensuring that everybody has uh, access to the ballot box, uh, that and that our election results are honored by both sides, all, all these things that are actually what makes America uh, a democratic republic and the most uh, successful, you know, over the last couple hundred years keeps going. And I think that's really critical. And we've got, again, we're the pro-democracy coalition. What the hell are they? Because they're not for your health. And they're sure as hell um, with their voter suppression laws 
um, and, and they're just, you know, com, com, you know, complacency and enabling and empowering of the mega lie that the election in 2020 was stolen and that you have to change all this stuff to make sure it's not stolen again is that's what we have to take on and make sure we never let up and never let up on January 6th and what happened there. Um, and, and that that insurrection is ongoing and that these voter suppression laws are part of it. And even the denial of, uh, of um, uh, vaccine, you know, vaccines and public health uh, positions that they've taken are even more uh, just sort of in transience at the expense of their own support base. That, it, it, they're using them uh, to, to make political points. And yes, it will work with the Trump uh, and the MAGA folks. Hopefully it will push, continue to push some Republican women, uh, younger Republicans, college educated Republicans, and, our, and some of our friends uh, that we talk to, uh, to come with us. Joe, let's move from governors to some other statewide races. It, it's actually been a while since we looked at the Senate. We've been talking about the House a lot. And we're kind of getting into the season where everything really starts heating up. When candidates are home campaigning, starting to jockey. And, and now that we're almost at Labor Day, kind of hard to believe, it, things are going to heat up really fast. What's yep. catching your eye on the Senate it, side? Yeah. Look, Labor Day is going to always has been always, you know, is again going to be like the official launch of the uh, of the next cycles campaign. Uh, so 2022, we're, we're weeks away uh, from an all out, you know, freight trains moving towards November 2022. Um, and what's sort of been, you know, relatively st still loud uh, summer, but, you know, it, things sort of slow down in pace, that's going to pick up big time. They slow down. Um, yeah, well, uh, I, I just mean, well, for over the last four years, yeah, I actually think this summer on, you know, uh, was was one of the, it wasn't normal, um, but it wasn't all out crazy um, the way it was during the, during the Trump four. But we ain't out of the woods. We've been talking about that. On the Senate side, look, you know, I, I, I continue to believe that, that uh, well, a couple of things. First of all, CNN has uh, some good ranking uh, updates regularly uh, on the races that are likely to flip. And we're going to include those in the show notes for folks so you can look at it yourself. But 2022 is shaping up um, to be, I think, to be a pretty strong year for Democrats uh, on the Senate side, even with the normal uh, midterm uh, problems that an incumbent presidency, uh, presidential majority uh, uh, generally suffers. There are 20 Republican Senate seats uh, that will be up uh, compared to only 14 Democratic seats. Last cycle, that was almost reversed, um, or a lot, of, a lot right. of our more vulnerable incumbents were up. Uh, several there have been several Republican uh, uh, retirements, and so far uh, there have been no Democratic Democratic retirements at all. And even in the places where you kind of hear maybe this one might retire, um, they're pretty safe. They might be in places, yeah, that are are, are really safe. So I don't see us losing uh, seats in the Senate. I actually think. That, you know, uh, I think of, of the sort of the 10 top seats that are out there, 
Democrats are on the offense in six of them. Uh, so, you know, we've got six that we're really pushing hard on. They've only got four um, that they're, you know, that they're pushing up against. And I just think that the odds are that, well, look, uh, every, like I started this, we have to keep the Senate in the House. We, we have to, there, there's no place we can ignore. We can't ignore the governor's races, none of it. But um, the Senate is probably the place where we're looking better than the other two, speaking about governor and House. I think that if we can gain the two or three seats, I think we can pick up. That gives Biden a lot more room, given that Manchin and Cinema don't have, uh, you know, aren't always, you can't always count on them. Um, they end up being there, have ended up being there uh, after a lot of pushing and shoving. Uh, but on big issues like voting rights and infrastructure, we'd have even more of a cushion uh, to pull off the 51 votes uh, that, that we need. So I think that would um, that would be great. The downside there is there's nothing we can do in 2022 um, to gain em- enough seats to make a whole lot of difference in the Senate. Right. right? And we can give we can give uh, have a little cushion, but we're so far away from 60 that the filibuster is still going to be a critical issue. At, even if we get through infrastructure uh, and voting rights, which I don't see how we do without uh, on voting rights in particular without uh, changing the filibuster, but gaining two or three seats in the Senate would give us a little bit more breathing room to actually get things done. The place where the roadblock is going to happen is likely to be the House, because even if you gain those two or three seats, um, if we lose the House, uh, then nothing's going to happen, right. nothing at all. So one thing, you've got to believe that Cinema and Manchin are looking at this map and thinking that their their leverage is never going to be higher than it is in the next 12, 13 months, right? So they're almost motivated to get something done now. Well, everybody is. <laughs> Everybody's motivated to get something done. The Democratic side motivated to get something done now because you cannot, there's no way historically you can sit and look at the uh, at what's going to happen in 2022 and think you have the house. It, it, you, it's all it's all now or nothing. Now that doesn't mean that we can't win the house. It would be a historic anomaly. And w- by the way, we got to pull it off. We have to. Um, so I've said several times, you know, and, and it's been said many times way before I did. Failure's not an option here. We've got to pick up the Senate seats that we can. And we've got to hold the house. Yeah, Joe, there is one Senate race right now that's pretty interesting. There's a, a new entry this week, but Pennsylvania's at the top of everybody's flip list. What, what's your take there? Yeah, well, Pat Toomey's retiring uh, after he voted against the infrastructure bill, and, and uh, he's you know one of the more influential conservatives in the Senate. Uh, you know, Biden only won uh, Pennsylvania by just over one uh, percent. And, you know, I know a lot about the state uh, having worked, uh, uh, you know, in, gosh, going back to Bob Casey Sr.'s uh, race for governor uh, in 1986, which we won. It, you know, it's there's very Catholic, conservative Democrats. It's one of the reasons Biden, um, I think, did as well as he did. And he only won by by one percent. He really can connect with those um, working class, Catholic, and, and yes, Democratic, blue collar uh, voters that that moved towards uh, towards Trump uh, after voting for Obama twice. 
and so, you know, I think we can, we can, it's going to be interesting. I think our primary, this may be a primary that matters uh, more than most. There isn't really yet a, a clear Republican candidate. And, you know, there's not yet, uh, you know, sort of Trump uh, putting his thumb down on the scale and pushing uh, for uh, a Trumpist candidate, uh, which I'm sure will emerge, but just hasn't happened yet. So we don't know who that will be. Um, Connor Lamb uh, has just joined the race. And, you know, we've talked before. Uh, that that puts his house here we are saying we got to hold the house and it does put his house seat at, at issue but i i've also said look he he would be a strong candidate to win pennsylvania given his positions and sort of his persona uh john fetterman he, a well-known lieutenant governor uh, he's off to a, a very strong start in, in fundraising um and i think you know could well be uh, along with some other uh, potential candidates in the race who might might emerge as sort of progressive darlings in, in, in the fight. Uh, it'll be interesting because, as you know, we, as we saw in New York in a lot of races recently, uh, it's been that more moderate middle candidate on the Democratic side winning the Democratic primary. Uh, so I think this will be a very important primary to watch. I don't I think it's too early to, to see who has an advantage there. Uh, Fetterman clearly, I think, has a money advantage right now, but we'll see. Yeah. And we, and again, we don't have a, a Republican uh, candidate in that fight yet, but there's no way the Republicans don't put significant resources and money uh, behind. And Trump, I can't see him walking away from Pennsylvania. He's going to go in pretty hard at some point here. And, you know, that could help um, one or the other of these candidates. I mean, if, if if a Trumpist gets in and starts fighting with John Fetterman, does that help him? It's it's unclear yet, but that's definitely a race to watch. Yeah. One thing that I think the Democrats have to really avoid in Pennsylvania is they can't let this primary drag them too far to the left. And if you look at all the candidates right now, they're doing a pretty good job of making it clear. They're not running against each other about trying to outleft each other. Yeah. They're running against Trump. Yeah. Well, I don't see either Connor Lamb or John Fetterman. Uh, engaging in that kind of uh, ideological, you know, takedown of each other. I, I just don't see yeah. that in their interest. Although, hey, you know, having been a consultant in tough primaries, you never know yeah. um, when that's going to change. So, um, but so far, you're right, Alex. So far, we've avoided them. Uh, and even when, um, like in Ohio, when progressives, you know, their candidate didn't make it, you don't see afterwards yes there's hurt feelings yes there's uh bickering back and forth but you yeah. still except the candidate herself everyone else was fine no but that's what i'm saying but you do see the rank and file i mean the average voter out there on the democratic side i think gets how important what the stakes are and they understand why we have to hang together and and coalesce um behind whether it's the progressive or the or the more moderate Democrat, whoever it is, get behind them and, and make sure that they win in, in November. This isn't an ideological fight between two parties. It's not an ideological fight within a party. This is the pro-democracy coalition that has to come together, like it or not. You know, no one's going to get everything they want in a candidate, but we've got to stand up against the authoritarian candidate that will certainly be there, particularly if it's a Trumpist. 
so Joe, this broke while we were actually recording this podcast, but by the time this comes out, we should start having a lot more clarity on, on all the census data that's coming out. Anything you're seeing early? Look, I think there's a couple people uh, like Dave Wasserman. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should. Uh, has a good thread out out about this, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, you know, he he's over at uh, the Cook Political Report, uh, and they're showing current projections again based on uh, these early numbers, a GOP gain of zero to seven House seats from redistricting alone. Uh, now he. He does say that's with a high initial degree of uncertainty, right? But it's it's zero to seven seats a day gain from redistricting alone, and that again, folks, when you have the house by seven or eight seats currently, if they gain, let's put it at the outer edge there at seven, just from redrawing the lines, we're starting at even seat, Stephen, in a midterm election post winning the presidency. Uh, and that has generally historically, not generally, historically uh, not ended up well uh, for the majority in the House. And it usually ends up with them losing seats. We do have, uh, you know, COVID, uh, the economy, uh, a whole bunch of issues that could move people over uh, to the Democratic side and swing them away from that historic outcome. But this is something, look, this is likely to be a very big battle uh, as these lines are drawn. And they are going, as David, um, uh, as Wasserman said, and he made this important point yesterday, the, the battle for gerrymandering is going to end up in a lot of state Supreme Courts first and actually you know, could end up in the U.S. Supreme Court. I wouldn't want to bet on what, how they'd rule uh, uh, or who they'd rule for. So this is an area where I'm sure uh, on, on this podcast, we'll be focusing quite a bit, uh, talking to people like Mark Elias and others about the legal implica implications, talking to people like Dave Wagon and, and Dave Wasserman and others who are really following uh, this, this uh, gerrymandering and the, the House seat projections. Um, we're, we've, we've had a few of them on. We'll continue to do that. But this has got to be uh, something that we continue to put focus on. After a whole bunch of guest interviews in a row and a ton of breaking news, we've kind of let the listener questions, we've been getting a bunch of them, kind of let them pile up. And we have a little time today, so I thought it would be good to get into a few. And if you, But it's your job to pull them. <laughs> it, 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 that's your job. Or one of them, anyway. Yeah, the, the problem is just that the other guy in this podcast just talks so long. You can never get to oh, all great. of them. Oh, great. Oh, great. <laughs> well, if you, if you ever do have a question, and we promise we will get to some, email us at thattrippyshow at gmail.com, or you can, you can tweet at Joe Trippy on Twitter. So this one's from Matthew W., and it fits in a lot with a lot of things we've been talking about. He writes in, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Given how important recruitment is for 2022 and keeping the House, would it be a good idea for the DCCC to encourage or even seek out former Republicans who care about democracy or people who have left the party after what Trump did to it to run as kind of a conservative Democrat in 22? Uh, look, we have to uh, appeal to anyone who's left the GOP uh, and cares about our democracy. That's why we talk about the pro-democracy coalition. This isn't a time to have ideological fights with those 
that want to save our democracy. So we have to to join together in, in as broad a coalition as possible. And that, by the way, that is why I joined the Lincoln Project. Here, former Republicans who took a lot of risk by leaving their party, not knowing, you know, whether whether there was. A, a, a way out. They're, they know they're never going back. They can't. They'll never get hired for anything. They they they, they stood in and took this on. Uh, I think Democrats need to join folks like that on the the issue you raise. And and again, that's the same thing on all the legal battles on the on the uh, uh, on messaging on on going after. Uh, the authoritarian movement on calling it out. Uh, it's got to be Democrats, Republicans and independents that, that, that are part of all that. And it's not just the Lincoln Project. There's all kinds of other groups that we need to all pull in to people like Mark Elias and, and folks f fighting the legal battles. That's all important on the look. I, I think, it, you know, if I, I've always believed primaries are good. We just talked about that in the in Pennsylvania, uh, I don't think uh, Fetterman or Connor Lamb should uh, step aside in that Pennsylvania primary. I think we should put out there the big tent argument uh, within our party out there front and center in a primary. And, and whoever wins, we should all rally around uh, and fight for them to 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 defeat the GOP authoritarian. I, and it, it doesn't matter what their message is. That's who they are. It's what they are going to fight for. We need to stop them and we need to win in, in November 2022. Then we can have a lot of these. I, it, once we've, uh, I think, had a big victory for democracy in 2022, um, I think we can focus then on on some of these, these, these issue fights, policy fights. But I think it's a mistake to get all hung up on them now and get divided by them. So, so to, to take your your question, should you know, should uh, what happens if a Republic, former Republican uh, declared they're going to run as a Democrat in our primaries in one of our primaries? I think that'd be great. I think I think that would be a great debate to have. It'd actually be a debate about policy and not wacko sure. conspiracy theories. Yeah, um, sign me up. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, and and I think it would be good. And if that district, let the district make that decision. So and I do not think we should say, no, no, no. Under no circumstances can a former Republican uh, be a member of the Democratic Party and run as a Democrat. I think that is exactly the wrong thing to do. We should be trying to expand and showcase the tent that is the Democratic Party from Connor Lamb to Fetterman, that, you know, from Doug Jones uh, to AOC. Uh, I, you know, that, that's that's real. Uh, that's out there. Um, and no one has like iron fist control of that party the way Donald Trump and the authoritarians and the white supremacists um, and the lying enablers uh, have taken control over the Republican Party. That's what we have to. That's what we have to snuff out. Well, and politically, it, he, electorally, it, 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 Matthew actually followed that up by saying, "I'm a liberal, and I recognize it could make it harder for us to get everything we want, but democracy is at stake right now. And if, if so, if it means welcoming more conservatives into the tent, and he calls it a new blue dog coalition, we should consider it. So he's right there with you. Well, 
Well, that look, you know, I know everybody like gets tough on Mansion and screams at him and uh, and cinema. Uh, the reality is, if you had a Senate that was made up of a whole bunch of them and a whole bunch of you know you, the Democrats, I mean, we could we could negotiate and find the the right step forward. No one's going to get it's democracy. No one gets everything they want. So it's part of the it's part of the deal. But the, these are people we can talk to, like. Fetterman and, and Connor Lab could sit down and solve a lot of problems together, right? They're, they're not going to agree on everything, but they'll, they'll solve a lot of problems. There's no way that happens with the Trump Party uh, and the you, you know and, and any. It doesn't matter. Forget about Democrats. It doesn't. They want total control uh, and impose their beliefs on everybody else, and they want to. And they're ready to use any means, including stopping people from being able to vote. To pull it off um, until that threat is is dead in the crib. I I don't think we can do anything but open our embrace anybody who's willing to take them on with us and get in the trench with us to to, to do just that. Um, and that again is why Stuart Stevens and why you know I, I joined with with people. Man, we've we had you tough, tough, all-out fights against each other in Senate races and governor's races for over, in some cases, 30, 40 years. And I would get in the trench with those guys and stop this, that that's far more important. And yes, if if uh, there are Republicans who want, uh, who, 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 who instead of starting a third party, decide the best path forward is to fight for ideas in a party that's willing to debate ideas and policy. Uh, welcome them, let them in. That doesn't mean they'll win, but let's just you know. But they, we should welcome them and have that debate because it's not one we're having now. That's for sure. Thanks, Matthew, for that question, and and we'll get to more next week. Uh, Joe, that's all the time we've got this week. Well, there we were because actually Alex had three or four questions pulled, and and I did my yapping thing. So we'll have to hold him. So he's kind of right about that, even though it is his job to pull him. Anyway, look, I promise you we'll both be sharper next week. Uh, thanks for listening to that trippy show. We'll be back next week and check back soon for more special guest episodes because we're, we're working on um, getting a few more of those. As always, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And listen, folks, if you like the show, Please tell your friends. Please email them the link. Um, ask them to give us a listen. It's really important to spread this message to get people to understand what the stakes are and what we can do together and why we need to expand um, this pro, literally create this pro-democracy coalition and expand it. Um, and that's something only you can do by getting other people to understand what the stakes are. Um, and if they're willing to give Alex and I a listen, we're willing to help make the case. So uh, please help us do that. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the reviews on iTunes. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.